We're in uh, we're we're back in First John, so turn to First John chapter four, and um, I'm not using slides today, but I have this really cool picture right here. I just became a grandfather again this week. Yeah. You know, this is like really cool. This is number three. Our daughter Lydia had a little Ezekiel. So we got Ezekiel. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I shook that off. I'm ready for number four now. <laughs> I, this is good. I, I like this. Yeah, this is, this is good. And if you want to see any pictures, I guess I'll, I guess I'll show them to you. My wife's got them too. All right. First John, chapter four. Now the last time we were in, uh, in, in First John, we ended at verse 12. And John does something interesting there. In verse 12, he says, "No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us." So he's saying, God abides in us so there's God abiding in us and then there's his love being perfected in us very interesting now what he does in the next whole paragraph is he takes those two thoughts God abiding in us his love being perfected in us and that's what he talks about in in this next section let me read verses 13 to 16 the first part of that by this we know that we abide in him and he in us this is the God abiding in us part because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him and he in God so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Interesting, up there in verse 13, he starts off by saying, we know, we know, he says. Um, and he's saying that we know that we're abiding in God, and God is abiding in us, and he gives us three ways that, he, that, that we know. I'm going to go through this, this part very quickly, and then in the second half of the paragraph, I'm going to slow down. He says, we know that we're abiding uh, by the fact that the Spirit is in us. Look at 13 again. Because he has given us of his Spirit. The Spirit of God is dwelling in us. Sometimes we want to make the essence of Christianity, we want to boil it down into having the right doctrine. Being correct. If I've got it right, I'm a Christian, but we can't forget there's another, there's another, yes, we're supposed to be correct about our doctrine, but, but that is by itself is not enough. There are plenty of people with correct theology in hell. Verse 13 says, we know that we abide in him because he's given us of his spirit. Something's happened in me. God has done some work in me. Remember what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the 
Nicodemus, who he was talking to, had a problem with that. And then Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. Amen? We must be born again. It's not just a matter of understanding the right things. It's after having understood the right truth about Christ, what have you done with it and what has God done with that in your life? Have you responded in faith and thereby been born again as the Spirit of God come in and changed you on, from the inside out? in a way that's not it cannot be explained merely by your education or your comprehension of certain facts about God it's God the Spirit has come into you the Spirit in us by the Spirit in us he's saying I know that God abides in me but then he, he says look in verse 14 and 15 14 and 15 he's saying the content of our faith is important and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So it is important to know who Jesus is. It is important to know what, uh, what the truth is. And here, here he is confessing. He's saying, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and has come. To be our Savior. So, once again, the Scripture puts together what we as people often want to separate. We often separate things, and God puts them together. Doctrine is important, and the experience of the Spirit is important. He puts them both together. We know we're abiding by the Spirit in us and by the content of our faith. We believe correctly about Jesus Christ. And then, thirdly, in verse 16, we know we're abiding by our experience of the love of God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Look again the way verse 16 starts. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We know we're abiding and in God and God's abiding in us by our experience of the love of God. That's what John is saying. But this experience of God's love uh, grows. Look at verse 17. By this is love perfected in us. Another word for perfected is, is matured. It's, it's growing in us. So what John is saying here is that we can know the love of God but still need to know the love of God more. Amen? Amen? Amen. Thank you. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, uh, he's praying for the people and he's, he's praying for, for them. He says, I'm praying that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I love it. He's saying you can't, you can't know, you can't get to the end of the love of God, but I'm going to pray that you get there anyway. 
just keep, you've got to, I'm praying that you know more and more about the boundaryless love of God. See how close you can get to the end. Don't just stay where you are. I'm praying, praying this for you. And John, there's a, there's a piece of what the Apostle Paul said right here. He's saying, you know the love of God. That's even one of the reasons why you know that God's abiding in you, but you need to be perfected in it, verse 17. And he's saying, by this is love perfected with us. By, by this you're going to know more and more of the love of God. And then he mentions three aspects of experiencing God's love in greater and greater measure. And those three are what I want to really focus our attention on. And, I'm, and as we focus our attention there, we're doing that in preparation for the, for the table, for the Lord's Supper. Amen? And this is, it's beautiful. It fits perfectly. As we see these three aspects of, of, of experiencing God's love in greater, greater measure, it will prepare us to remember again the cross by taking the bread and the cup. First aspect is believing God for your complete forgiveness. Believing God for your complete forgiveness. Let me read 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I, I spoke at two funerals this week. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid to die? You don't have to answer out loud. What John is saying is, there, there might be the fear of the unknown. There might, sometimes we might be, a fear, be afraid of how we're going to die. <laughs> is it going to hurt? But what is it that makes us afraid of passing through that door? It's the fact that now we're going to give an account of our life to God. Now we're going to be judged. That judgment on our life is now that's going to happen. And we know deep inside, we know that we deserve punishment from God because we've broken his laws. But John is reminding us here, he's saying, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear casts Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears hasn't been perfected in love yet. What Paul is doing is, uh, what John is doing is he's driving us to remember again that Jesus Christ finished our punishment. There is no more punishment for us if we are in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we sang in one of our songs, we, we remembered that on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Amen? It's finished. 
He was suffering punishment on the, on the cross. It was punishment for us. He didn't deserve any punishment. He's the only sinless one. The punishment he was suffering was for you. And he said, it is finished. So you don't have to be afraid. Amen? And the more you believe this, the more you comprehend it, the more you really believe God for your complete forgiveness, the more you experience the love of God, the more you understand and experience the love of God. There is no more punishment in heaven that has your name on it. None. Amen? And there's this fascinating little piece of verse 17. I skipped it the second time I read it. It's the last part of verse 17. He says, and he's already, he said in the beginning of that verse, you know, we're confident in the day of judgment. He says, because, this is, I was going to say, I was going to say this is unbelievable. But my whole point is we have to believe it. That's just a phrase, you know, an idiom. It, it, it's, it's wonderful. Second part of 17. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. When God the Father looks down, looked down on Christ in the world, he saw him as his beloved son, his beloved child with no fault. There was no cloud of guilt between the Father and the Son completely accepted by the Father. When he looked at the Son in the world, he, he, that was his child that was accepted. And he's saying, as he is in the world, that's the way we are. When you're in Jesus Christ, God looks at you and he sees his Son. And he, he accepts you as he accepts his Son. Do you believe this? And as you, as you comprehend this, you experience the love of God more. You know, um, I said this once. Um, uh, Tim, Tim Schaefer taught me this. Where's, where's Tim? There you are. You'll take credit. Tim told me one time he likes in communion, he takes the cup and, he, and because these are transparent cups and he, he holds it and he, he, can, he can look through the drink, the red drink, and he can see his hand. So he can see himself through the juice. That's the way God looks at you. He looks through the blood of Christ and he sees you. Amen? And because, because the blood of Christ has taken away your sin, uh, you are forgiven. It is finished. It is finished. Amen. Someone says, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. And I'd say, but my friend, you don't know how Christ has suffered. He suffered the, to the extent of your sin. Believing God for your complete forgiveness. And very much related to this is the second, the second uh, aspect of this is accepting before God your utter helplessness. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. 
We all know, we've heard that verse, but think of it this way. We love because he first loved us. We have to accept before God our utter helplessness. We did not love God first and therefore God loved us. He loves us and therefore we love him. We do not earn anything from God. We don't earn his attention. We don't earn his approval. We, we don't work off our punishment. We love because he first loved us. He took the initiative. We did not take the initiative. We were running our own way. We were, we're, we're involved in our own sin and we're, we're just going our own way and he sought us. While we had the scripture read to us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. That's the point. Do you accept this? There's something deep in our nature as human beings that says that somehow I can contribute something to my forgiveness. Surely there's something I can put on the table to make the deal work. This is one deal where only one party puts it on the table. Christ shed his blood for us and said it is finished. You don't add a thing because you cannot add it. And when you accept before God your utter helplessness to, to do anything to, to, to contribute to your forgiveness and your acceptance with God, you start to comprehend the love of God greater and greater. Amen? Believing God for your complete forgiveness, accepting before God your utter helplessness, and then thirdly, very interestingly, he comes back around to our responsibility to love each other. He's not going to let go of that. And so we see the, the third aspect of increasing in our comprehension and experience of the love of God is obeying God's command to love. As we obey God's command to love one another, our experience of the love of God increases. Look at verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hate, hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The hermits are wrong. The religious hermits, there's not a lot of them left today. Back in the 400s, it was a big thing, you know, in the early church, you know, they go off in a cave and they're going to be holy. They're going to be holy and they're going to get off by themselves and live in a cave all by themselves year after year after year. They're wrong. Sorry, buddy. You're wrong. You... You and got it. You got to understand. I got a lot of hermit in me. If I could just go off into the woods, I'm happy. So I think there's times where, yeah, they're right, but they're wrong. They were right that you can get off by yourself with God, and that it, that can be very meaningful. The wrong part was the duration. 
They thought that they could just live that way for, for, for the rest of their life and become holier and holier. And God says, no, get with me like that for a time and then get back with your brothers and sisters and love them. Love them. Loving your brothers and sisters, in doing that, you yourself begin to understand and experience the love of God in ways that you couldn't when you're in the cave by yourself. Some of you know that little, that little poem. You've heard it before. To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, that's another story. <laughs> that's where the rub comes in, right? I irritate you. You irritate me. Now what? God says, love one another. Work it out. Forgive one another. Some things you don't have to bring up again. You just forgive. Other things you, you got to talk about. And say, hey, that, I, when you said that, you probably didn't mean it this way, but this is the way I felt. And you talk, you talk about it. I just think marriage is such a, such a, um, uh, um, it, like it magnifies all of that. So, you know, my wife and I work on, you know, what's our record for how many times we've had to forgive one another in a week? You know, it's like, but you go, you go back and, or, and I'm sorry, I was wrong, would you forgive me? Yes. And sometimes you let stuff go, but other, the little stuff, but other times you have to say, hey, we got to talk. Because when you said that, this is how I felt. I don't think you meant it that way. And then, and it's always me. She's always saying that to me. Once or twice, maybe. So you see, this is, and it, but isn't it interesting? Because God isn't going to let us, he's not going to let us just float around with our Bible by ourselves. We're in our Bible, the Bible gets in us, but he keeps pushing us back to, into each other and saying, now love, love one another, love one another, get to know each other, help one another, serve one another, and forgive each other and be patient with one another. And, and as you're loving one another, though, you've got to do something because look, look back at chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We, we have to love in our actions. That's where it's really, that's really, really, we can feel bad for someone and sometimes we can't do anything about it and that's, that's okay, we're, that's love, we're empathizing with the person. But if I can do something to help the person and I don't do it, I'm not loving. So God's saying, act, help, help one another. Know one another enough that you know each other's needs and then, and then help. I want to, I, um, this isn't in my notes, so it's dangerous, but as a pastor of a church this size, there was a time, there was, there was a little while that I thought, you know, I just can't know everybody. And, and then I kind of stopped trying. I'm, I'm sorry for that. I kinda, this is some years ago. I kind of stopped trying to get to know everybody because I thought, I can't know everybody. I can't know this many people. And then a little while back, I thought, nuts on it. That, you know, that's, it's okay for me to say that, isn't it? 
nuts on it. No. I'm going to try to get to know whoever I'm standing in front of. I'm not going to think about the fact that there's 900 or so of us. I'm just going to try to get to know whoever's the next person in front of me. And I've been living that way ever since. And you guys are pretty nice people. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Sometimes we get, in a church our size, we, we, um, we, we give up trying to meet each other. Just stop that. Just say nuts on it. I'm going to get to know the person that I'm next to. You don't have to worry about the future. You don't have to worry about, oh no, I have, now this is another person I have to invite over for dinner. No, don't worry about that. Don't worry about tomorrow, just today. If the person's right there, hi, how are you doing? Get to know each other. God will work out who you invite to dinner and, and, and all that later. Amen? God will work it out if we have open hearts. You notice that thing in chapter 3, what it says there in, in, 20, uh, in 19, 17. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, closes his heart. Friends, we just need an open heart. Amen? An open heart towards one another. And God will take care of how many people we're going to actually know and become friends with and know in a deeper way. God will work all that out. Just don't close your heart against each other. Amen? And, and greet one another and get to know one another. Because by obeying God's command to love, you begin to mature and grow in your experience of God's love. Three aspects of experiencing God's love in greater and greater measure. Believing God for complete forgiveness. Accepting before God your utter helplessness. And obeying God's command to love. Amen? Let's be those people. Our Father, we, we bow before you and present ourselves to you, Lord, as we, as we are. With all of our weaknesses, with all of our our, our, our quirks with all of our doubts and fears and we thank you Lord for your great love for us Father help us help us to grow to advance to move closer and closer to the edge of your love, to understand and know your love. Oh Lord, break in by your Spirit in our own hearts and minds. Show us again our helplessness and then show us again the finality of what you have done in Christ, that you have completely forgiven us, that you look on us as you look on Christ. Oh Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you. And move us, Lord, not to sit and wait, but to step out in love and to love each other. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.